Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my private podcast, Braden's Besties. Did you know that I created a second podcast? It is exclusive only to members of the Braden's Besties Facebook group. If you have not already joined, go to www.bradensbesties.com where you can get signed up. Once you join the Facebook group, you will get access to a private podcast where I answer your questions from our Facebook group every single Monday. Episodes are five to 10 minutes long, super bite-sized, so you can dive in, get answers to the biggest questions you may have, and that's it, pretty straightforward. So go join the group, bradensbesties.com, and I will see you both here and over there on the Braden's Besties podcast. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Unpack Your Biz podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden. And on today's episode, I'm going to answer, attempt to answer, or if nothing else, just discuss the topic of, is debt really that terrible? So to kick all this conversation, I want to kind of highlight three different camps that I think various people, experts, gurus, and even non-financial experts fall into when it comes to debt philosophy. So the basic question, again, is debt that terrible? Is it okay? Should we have it? These are three different points of view. So one point of view is that debt is evil. It's terrible. It should never be used. And this is the camp, I think, that is kind of uh, like led by the Dave Ramseys of the world, the people who don't really believe in debt. So we've all probably seen that one. Maybe you have family members that ascribe to it. Maybe you ascribe to that philosophy as well. The second camp is uh, those people who think that debt should be avoided most of the time, but it can make sense in certain circumstances. So it's kind of like our middle ground. And then the third camp is those people who say that debt is a tool, you should leverage it and use it to your advantage. So I'm going to use these three different viewpoints as kind of the anchoring point of this conversation. We're going to dig into them one at a time. So camp number one, our debt is terrible territory. Again, I said this was kind of like led by Dave Ramsey. There might be other people who talk a lot about being debt-free, um, but Mr. Ramsey is the one that I'm most familiar with. I know a lot of people who follow him. Uh, my mom like went through what I'll call a big Dave Ramsey fan, uh, fan, a big Dave Ramsey um, time. I don't know. There's a word that I'm searching for here. You're probably filling it in in your own head send me a message on Instagram, <laughs> let me know. But face, there we go. She went through a big Dave Ramsey phase. I knew I would get there eventually and um, went through the whole system. So if you're not familiar, I'm going to kind of highlight his system as we start to talk about this. So he teaches what he calls the baby steps. So there's seven baby steps in his framework to become financially free. I think that's the language that he uses. Baby step number one, you save $1,000 in your starter emergency fund. Great step. Love this step. Step number two, pay off all debt except for your house using the debt snowball method. And I talk about these steps in more detail in past episodes, so I'm not going to dive 
super deep. Um, but step number two is to pay off all debt except for your house. Makes sense. The house, you know, typically is going to take a lot longer to pay off. Then step number three, you save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. So in step one, you save a little bit. Step two, you pay off all your debt. Step three, you save more money. And then in step number four, you invest 15% of your household income in retirement. Step five, uh, you save for your children's college funds. Step six, pay off your home early. And step seven, build wealth and give. So I like to really focus on the first four steps um, because when it comes to saving for your children's college, not something that's relevant to everyone, and then paying off your home and building wealth, those are kind of the advanced steps. So if we really look at the first four, essentially we could break this down pretty specifically by saying that Dave Ramsey's guidance is that you save a little bit of money for emergencies, then you pay off all your debt except for your house, then you save uh, more money for emergencies, up to three to six months of living expenses, and then you invest 15% of your household income. And this is not like an, a, an extensive episode on personal finance, but I do like to highlight here that me personally, like the issue I have is with step number four. So step number four, invest 15% of your household income in retirement. It's a great tip. It's one we should all probably be doing, but it's kind of the order of things, right? So in step number two, we're supposed to pay off all of our debt, but you know, if you're someone who has a mountain of student loan debt, should you wait until you have that student loan debt paid off to start saving for retirement? Dave Ramsey would tell you yes. Um, I think if you went and talked to a certified financial planner, an expert, they would probably ask you, well, how much debt do you have? How long is it going to take you? You know, if you're 28 year olds, 28 years old now, and it's going to take you 15 years to pay off your student loan debt, you don't want to wait that long to start saving for your retirement. So maybe you do those two things at the same time. The thing is, is if you like read into Dave Ramsey's um, kind of philosophies, he's going to tell you, I would assume don't take 15 years to pay off that student loan debt, like get a second job, cut all of your expenses, live well within your means. And to him, that means like, don't spend money on like really anything frivolous. He'd probably tell you not to go to the movies, not to go out to dinner, except maybe for very special occasions. It's a very strict program, right? And then in that case, he'd say, maybe you can pay off your student loan debt in five years. And to that, I would say, maybe, um, is it worth it to like restrict yourself that much financially in order to reach that goal? Personally, I don't think so in some circumstances, but it's a little bit different for everyone. So in his system, again, you're saving money, you're paying down debt. And then in step number six, you're going to pay off your house early. You're going to pay off your mortgage as quick as you can. And then you're going to get to the more advanced steps. So I mentioned before, I know a lot of people who follow this method. Um, my personal hot take is that I think that it is, I think that Dave Ramsey's philosophies are popular because they are foolproof. They're simple and they will get you success if you follow them, right? Like I'm a big believer that there are a lot of different, when we could go into this, we could apply this concept to a lot of different areas, um, whether it be paying off debt, saving money. Um, right now I'm training for an Ironman triathlon. My goal next year is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So the same 
concept I'm going to give you would apply to those things as well. And that is that I think there are lots and lots of ways to reach your end goal. The different methods may get you there at different times, but one method that might take longer than the other method might have a higher degree of success because it's easier to follow. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example, maybe, and I'm going to use my, um, my marathon as an example. So if I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon, there's one camp of people that will tell me that the best way to do it is to run a lot of miles at a very slow pace. So that builds up your cardio endurance and it keeps your muscles from getting super fatigued. So maybe I get up to running 70 miles a week, 90 miles a week, but at a pretty, um, pretty slow pace. There's another camp of people that are going to tell me, no, you only need to run half the amount of miles, but you should spend a lot more of that time running fast. So your legs get fast. You build your cardio engine to be able to run faster, uh, without exp expending much energy. And those are just two philosophies. There are dozens, right? There's tons of books on this. And ultimately, is there one that's the very best? Maybe. What I think is more likely is there's one that's the very best for me personally. I don't know what that is yet, right? My goal is that I will discover what that is, but I can look at this lots of different ways. I could also say, well, maybe method A is the one that would make me the fastest runner, but method B, I'm much more likely to do because method B has more of the workouts that I'm more likely to finish, right? If method A makes us do a lot of stuff that we don't want to do. We're going to get in our own head and we're going to say, you know what? I'll just skip today. It's fine. I'll catch up next week. If method A has a lot of that stuff going, going on, then what's the percentage likelihood that I'm going to reach my greatest potential, right? It's going to require a lot more self-discipline. So this is, I think, part of the initial... Uh, part of the issue when it comes to giving any kind of personal finance advice is that there might be a better way to do things, but a different way might lead to a more like a greater degree likelihood of success. And I think that's where Dave Ramsey has really built his following is that some of his systems might not be like the very best way to build wealth the quickest or to pay down debt the fastest, but his systems give results because he gives people very, very simple path to follow. And if you follow it, you will be successful. So without getting to, into my issues with Dave Ramsey's political views, uh, on which I have many opinions, I'll just, leave, <laughs> I'll just leave it there. I think the system is good. I don't follow him because I don't think that we have a very strong ethical alignment, which is the best way that I could put that. We can chat about that privately if you want to message me on Instagram. Okay, so that's camp number one. Um, debt is evil, debt is terrible, it should never be used. I also want to note that like under these philosophies, under Dave Ramsey's philosophies in particular, he will tell you not to use debt for anything. So don't use debt to buy a car. Definitely don't use credit cards. Um, he also discourages debt to buy a house. So you notice the mortgage came down pretty low on his list. I think that's assuming that you already have a mortgage. Um, he does encourage people to save enough cash to pay cash for a house if that's possible for you. But I think that is the only area where he gives a little bit of leeway. Um, if you have to get a mortgage, get a mortgage. He, I think he wants people to like be homeowners. That's like part of his thing. Other finance gurus don't think that everyone needs to be a homeowner. Again, a slightly different topic. So that's the only area he gives a little bit of leeway, right? I have a lot of people in my family who operate under the same method. 
they pay cash for everything. I even have a lot of aunt and uncles who pay cash for their properties. A lot of them though are farmers. So it's a very different kind of world from a lot of us live in. They get like 90% of their annual income in one lump sum in the fall. So it's easier, I think at that point to pay cash for things. Although, you know, the rest of us would just have to save month to month to month, which poses its own challenges. So that's camp number one. Camp number three, I'm going to skip number two, we're going to come back to it. Camp number three uh, is the camp that says debt's a tool, leverage it, use it to your advantage. And this is one that I'm not super familiar with, mostly because I think the people who kind of spearhead this camp, I don't follow all that closely. And, you know, maybe this is just a stereotype I'm placing, but I think, I think it fits. This camp seems to be really led by, you know, the finance majors of the world, the crypto bros, the I take photos in front of jet dudes. You know who I'm talking about. Um, I get targeted in these kind of YouTube ads all the time. Um, and they're not, the YouTube ads are not encouraging me to take on debt, but I have a feeling that a lot of their money making a lot of their money-making endeavors would probably require debt in order to finance. Generally, this philosophy is pretty straightforward. Like these people are going to tell you if you're going to earn more in interest or an ROI return on investment than the interest charged to you for the debt, then you should leverage it, right? So I'll give you one example. This isn't, this isn't really a a debt example, kind of, it's analogous. I used to share an office with a guy. He was a computer programmer, very computer savvy, very finance savvy. He was into cryptocurrency, all this kind of stuff. And he would always tell me that paying quarterly taxes was stupid because IRS penalties and interests are relatively low and he could make a much higher amount of interest in investing that money. And that's not something I would argue with him about. Like on average, the interest for not paying quarterly taxes and the penalty totals out to about 4% of your tax due based on the math that I've done. The average ROI on investments in the stock market are 7%. It's kind of like a medium yield. If you're a savvy investor, you might be able to beat that, although your average tends to average out, obviously. Um, but then you're talking about 7% versus 4%. If you are putting money in the stock market and then you're cashing it out within a year, you have to pay short-term capital gains tax. You also have to manage all of that. A lot of the time, I think people try to get really creative to leverage their money and you're just creating a lot of work and you're maybe like coming ahead just a little bit. For me personally, it's not worth the stress and the effort. It's just not worth the effort, right? It's like if if me leveraging my money, putting it in the stock market is uh, going to make me $300 more than if I had just paid it straight to the IRS, was the $300 worth the effort? Personally, no. But there are some people who really, really like that. It's like a game to them. It's like gambling, but with much higher odds of success. And if that's you, then find your guru, right? I'm probably not your guru if that's the type of way you like to handle your money. I can help you with some stuff, but I'm not going to give you advice on how to kind of pull those levers, right? There are a lot of people out there who do. Hopefully there are some who are savvy and trustworthy and will give you some good guidance. So you can go find those people, right? Um, some other examples of this are super, super simple, right? Like maybe you want to join a group coaching program, uh, an online group coaching program, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to get a business card to pay for that. And my interest rate is 10%. 
and the program is $10,000 and this is how much an in interest I'm going to assume that it's going to cost me, but I should get 10 times my ROI on this. Like I'm hoping that this group, this $10,000 group coaching program is going to make me $100,000 in business. If that is a really logical conclusion based on the numbers that you've run in your business, then that debt might not be all that bad, my personal opinion, right? But the question comes down to, can you really guarantee it? All right. I have a lot of other examples for this, but I don't want this podcast to drag on too long. So we will move on. Camp number two is the hybrid camp camp. And I find this is kind of like the norm, right? This is what we've kind of accepted in society. Camp number two is what most people kind of get behind. And in camp number two, we have the people in the middle who believe that credit cards are probably fine. Like it's not bad to have a credit card, if the big question, if you use them responsibly and don't carry a balance and carrying a balance just means, or not carrying a balance means that you're paying your credit card off in full every single month, in which case you don't end up paying any credit card interest. So that's the key. A lot of people say credit cards, good to have if you're paying them off every month. People in this camp also will say that mortgages are generally acceptable. Car loans, this one can, can kind of be a toss up. Some people like think that car loans are terrible. Some people always have a car loan. Personally, I don't think that like car loans are great, but they tend to be pretty low interest, right? So uh, my husband got a new car a few years ago. He has really good credit. He paid a pretty good down payment. Uh, he got an Audi, like it wasn't like it wasn't an inexpensive car, but he traded in one car for $10,000 put down another good chunk of money. And I think the interest rate was like under 2%. So for him, it was like, could we pay cash for this if we really wanted to? Yeah, but rather than, you know, spending, and I'm not going to give you exact numbers because he's much more private than I am. But instead of, you know, putting down $20,000 in cash, let's put down 10,000 and the other 10,000 is going to make us a lot more money if we put it into a retirement account. Okay, so that comes down to really whether you can make the car payment and really whether you can make it without causing any financial stress. That's the big one for me. Can I make this car payment without it causing any financial stress? If not, can I get a lower car payment, get a more, get a less expensive car, get a used car, you get the picture. And then in this camp, uh, most people are also going to say, you know, Low interest debts are probably okay, but stay away from high interest debts. Um, I have a family member who got a loan to buy a lawnmower. I think it was like a 2% interest. That's something where, you know, hopefully you would have the cash for that, but you just might not. And you might need, like, you might need a new lawnmower. You might need a new roof. You might need, there are certain things that you might need that you might ha not have the cash for. And again, our camp one people are going to tell you, this is what our emergency funds are for. And I agree, we should build a savings that allows us to pay for things, but sometimes certain expenses are going to pop up before we've built that savings. And to totally tell people not to pay cash, or sorry, to not use credit at all ever, uh, I think comes with a certain amount of privilege that not everyone has, and that's just reality. So 
planning for this podcast, I also made a post in my Facebook group, Braden's Besties, to ask people what their thoughts and opinions on debt were. So I'm going to read you some quotes. And again, like I'm going to disagree with some of these, but I want to let you all know that I'm not like the end all be all expert of this. Um, debt management is the journey that I'm working through on my own. It's something that I've, you know, started to like read on. Um, but for, like these people's opinions are going to be just as valid as mine. So if I tell you, I don't really agree, it's just two equals maybe having differing opinions. So the first person said, I believe debt is a lie that rich people come up with to keep us normies from becoming rich. It's not a tool. It's a way to keep you wanting more and living above your ne- your means. I actually think this is a really powerful statement. Um, I don't, again, I'm not a camp one person. I think this person probably is, but I do agree with the fact that there are a lot of wealthy people who probably rely on non-wealthy people accumulating debt in order for those wealthy people to accumulate their wealth. Um, kind of a cynical take, but definitely, definitely true. I mean, if you've ever like even read into the cash, the um, what's the advanced, what, what the hell do they call those businesses The where you like get advanced loans for your paychecks? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? They're predatory, they're awful. And the people who run those probably make a lot of money by giving predatory debt to people. It's terrible. Um, this person also said, if you think your net worth, if you think about your net worth, you first have to deduct all your debt, leaving most people with a net worth close to zero or negative. That's true. I'm a big believer in living debt-free and not buying something you can't afford. Super valid. My only exception to this is housing, since in general, they appreciate in value. Yes. Most of the time, I think in pretty much all housing markets, the house appreciates in value uh, quicker than the interest rate accumulates. Um, another friend in the Facebook group said, simply, it depends on the debt and the plan and the pattern of behavior. I wanted to highlight this one specifically for the second statement. Your pattern of behavior, I think, makes a huge difference when we're talking about debt. You know, some people I shared on my credit journey podcast episode, my journey with credit card debt and how I was not always good or let's just say I was terrible at paying off credit cards or even making minimum payments on credit cards. Uh, If you have kind of a history and behavior of credit, like the way I did, maybe you want to spend a lot greater time and attention avoiding it. Another individual shared thoughts on if debt is really bad. It depends when paying the minimums or a little bit more to keep you from living the way you want to, then yes. But also there was literally no other way from aside from accumulating debt that we could have dealt with certain situations. And this is a really interesting point because I found, and I think this is an unpopular take, but I found that just in the past year, um, getting credit cards myself with up to, I think now like an $8,000 credit limit, it does provide me with a certain sense of peace of mind. And again, camp one people would say, you don't want that, right? Like you don't want peace of mind from credit cards. You want peace of mind from savings. And that's also valid. Like my goal is to build enough of a savings that I never need to use my credit card for an emergency, but I have an old ass car and I, you know, if it ever breaks down on the highway and I don't have enough savings to get it fixed and I need to dip into my credit card to do that, it at least gives me peace of mind that uh, I'm not going to be stranded without a vehicle, right? So I think it's uh, 
you know, again, it comes down to your pattern of behavior. Does having an emergency credit card give you too much temptation? Something to think about. But I it was interesting that this person said from their personal experience that they've had certain things pop in the, up in their life where they frankly like would have been screwed without having a credit card on hand and they were happy that they did have it. Another person said, other than a mortgage, I think most debt is bad. That seems to be that seems to be a consensus, uh, even among the more like conservative people when it comes to debt. And then we have another um, another thought here. This is a pretty long one, but I'm going to read it. Debt is bad if you're using it beyond to live beyond your means, but in general, no. Debt is a tool used properly. It can solve temporary problems, preserve capital, and give people a leg up. For example, when we bought flooring for our home, the seller was offering 1% APR financing over 12 months. It would have been stupid to pay the $6,000 lump sum upfront rather than $500 in a charge per month when our investments were returning much more than that. Taking that money out of our capital would have cost us much more than the debt. So yeah, I, I pretty much agree with this one. Um, I think again, it circles back to pattern of behavior. So one issue you need to be careful with is by, I think some people can get into this kind of thought pattern of saying, no, I'm just going to pay the down payment and I'm going to finance the rest because of the cash I would have paid up front for this thing can make me a lot more money in investments. If you did that once, it's probably okay. If you do it twice, it's maybe okay. But you have the potential to do this with multiple multiple things that you want to buy. And before you know it, you have monthly payments that you're paying towards debt that are above, like, above your means, right? That cause you financial stress. So I would always analyze, all right, well, what's the monthly payment of this thing, similar to my car example earlier, and is this going to cause me any financial stress whatsoever? If the answer is yes, let's save for it, let's pay for it, or maybe not buy the thing at all. Um, if you're financially secure enough to pay that thing without really, like, or you can notice it, but without... Um, really like wincing at that money being taken out of your bank account each month, then you probably would be okay. Another person shared that debt creates anxiety, especially in an uncertain world. Yes, it definitely does. It gives, and they shared, it gives me enormous comfort to have no debt, no mortgage, no car notes, while also having money for retirement. I think that's a very great position to be in. It's what we're all striving towards. That's kind of the goal, right? And this individual said, it sounds like I'm bragging, but it's really pride. Early in our marriage, we made the decision to live frugally and always pay ourselves first. We didn't buy the latest and greatest extravagant gifts or vacations every year. We tried to limit our wants to special occasions and prioritize the needs. If something happens, we will be able to weather the storm. So I love this. To me, this is kind of um, a success story from someone who really bought into like the camp one methodology and has successfully executed it probably through all seven of those baby steps I mentioned earlier. All right. Final quote, individual shared. I don't think that it's bad if you have a plan and you follow it strictly, but if you're like me, that does not feel good. So I avoid it. I don't buy what I can't pay for. And that's a great kind of synopsis to start to wrap this up. For me, you've heard a lot of my opinions. It all comes down to keeping your debt under control. And we all have a different ability to do that, right? So when I talk about keeping it under control, I'm talking about more than just being able to, to pay for it. So when we are able to pay for it, can we handle the amount of debt we have? Can we auto pay it off every month without causing us severe financial like stress? Can we handle the interest rate? Is it all manageable? But also our ability to handle it 
relates back to our ability to stress. So there are some people who are financial, like stress a lot more financially than others. Um, if you're a natural worrier about anything, that's probably you. There are other people who don't stress as much. Um, like I'll be honest, I don't lose sleep over over much at all. I have much more of a everything will work out, natural optimist philosophy. And that actually, I have to actually be careful with that um, because I think people like me, it's easier to get into debt because we'll tell ourselves, well, I'll make more money next month. So it'll be fine. We want to be careful with that. Um, but there are other people who get stressed out really easily and they might think, you know what, I'm making more than enough money to pay off everything I need to do every single month. But what happens worst case scenario next month that I lose my job? If that's you, then having any stress, like any debt whatsoever might cause you anxiety and you might just decide that it's not worth it, right? This is something that I think that the camp three people don't, well, they probably do think about it, but it's, I'm assuming that a lot of camp three people are probably like natural risk takers. They don't mind a little bit of risk, but they're not really thinking about for other people you know, squeaking out a few hundred more dollars uh, every month by leveraging your debt or building wealth in that manner is going to cause more stress than that additional money is worth. So just a few things to think about. If you have any thoughts on this, let me know. If you like the episode, share it on your Instagram stories. Give me a tag. Give me a tag on your stories and let me know which of these three camps you fall into. That would be great. I would love to discuss it. And also hop in our Facebook group so you can get in on this dialogue. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll be back in your podcast feed next Thursday. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.